This is Behind the Mystery. Don't sit back and relax. Sit up and listen. Why? You could save a life. Let's do this. Are you enjoying this podcast and love medical stories? If you want more, be sure to watch the TV version of Behind the Mystery only on Lifetime's hit morning talk show, The Balancing Act, hosted by Montel Williams and Olga Villaverde. A talk show that addresses issues related to everyday women with a special medical segment highlighting rare diseases. So, if you need your medical entertainment fix, be sure to tune in bright and early at 7.30am on Lifetime to catch new episodes of The Balancing Act and Behind the Mystery Stories. You can watch episodes on thebalancingact.com. Despite the incredible advancements that our world has made in the fields of science and medicine, there are still several conditions and diseases that leave doctors scratching their heads. More often than not, they bring in specialists who conduct numerous interviews and tests, poring over journals and textbooks in a bid to understand what's in front of them. Patients aren't exempt from the stress of this process either. As the fear and frustration within them grow, they turn to Google, clicking on link after link, hoping to find an explanation for their condition. The Office of Rare Disease Research, or ORDR, recognizes approximately 7,000 rare diseases. However, fewer than 200,000 patients in the country are diagnosed with one. A direct result of limited access to experts and a lack of scientific knowledge or information. Given these challenges, it's safe to say that diagnosing a rare disease is hard enough as it is. Throw in symptoms that are highly similar to other, more common conditions, the diagnosis becomes even more difficult, if not downright impossible to detect. This was the case for David Bassam. He received his correct diagnosis after a few years and after multiple visits to the emergency room. As if that was not enough, he was incorrectly diagnosed with other conditions, none of which were remotely close to what he actually had. I think I first started noticing symptoms when I was about 33. It really started with the tremors and sweating and heart palpitations and then the blood pressure and the, and the pounding headache would, would, would kind of be the last thing that would happen. All nurses to the nurses station. As with anyone who had experienced the same, Dave's immediate response was to head to the emergency room where he hoped doctors would be able to provide him with an explanation, as well as a treatment. Unfortunately, his hopes quickly evaporated. The first time I went to the emergency room, I don't even think we saw anybody. I think we went in, we waited in the waiting room for 30, 40 minutes. It was completely gone. And I probably got irritated and got up and walked out. This would be the first of many visits to the emergency room for Dave, with each trip bringing him more and more frustration as doctors were unable to give him a correct diagnosis. The second time it happened, I know that was when they sent me to see an endocrinologist because my blood sugar was high and he diagnosed me as being diabetic. But here's the thing. The symptoms he was experiencing indicated that something else was wrong beside his blood sugar levels. I would feel like I was having a panic attack. At first, I just thought it was anxiety. And then it started to get to the point where it was literally 
making it so I couldn't stand up. My symptoms felt like I was being attacked by something that wasn't there. And my anxiety was so through the roof that when I did go to the emergency room, they thought I was having a panic attack. In addition to diabetes, doctors also thought that he was experiencing either an anxiety or a panic attack. But Dave knew that his symptoms were different, that what he was going through was something more severe and more debilitating. After being misdiagnosed again, he began to dig a little deeper, becoming proactive in his attempts to get his symptoms to be taken more seriously. On his fourth visit to the ER, he claimed that he was having a heart attack, even though he knew that he wasn't, just to get the doctors to do something other than make him wait for hours. Surprisingly, this strategy worked. They came out and they checked my blood pressure right then. Then they didn't let me leave because they could see that my symptoms were out of control and they transferred me to the heart hospital by ambulance, which was only a, a mile or two away. When I was in the hospital, several doctors saw me, and I think probably the fifth or sixth doctor that came in to see me said he thought he knew what was wrong with me and that they were gonna do some tests. After going through several CT scans and MRIs, Dave finally got what he was waiting for, the correct diagnosis. Let us take a short break from the episode. Not as easy to diagnose as you thought, huh? The symptoms range from panic attack-like symptoms to high blood sugar levels. It was even mistaken for a heart attack on one of the emergency visits. What can it possibly be? Have you figured it out yet? Well, let's see if you got it right. Dave's assumptions were correct. It wasn't diabetes, nor was it his anxiety levels. Turns out, his condition had something to do with his adrenal glands the small glands situated on top of each of our kidneys. These produce important hormones called catecholamines, including epinephrine and norepinephrine, which you probably know by their more common names of adrenaline and noradrenaline. Both of these hormones work to control our heart rate, as well as our blood sugar and blood pressure levels, which regulates how our body reacts to stress. Now, some of us may have faced a dangerous, near-death situation before, Perhaps you've been in a car accident, or maybe you've been mugged at gunpoint. In these instances, you most probably experienced your heart rate, your breathing, and even your blood pressure skyrocketing to astronomical levels. You may have also become more hyper-aware of your surroundings, and your entire body might have tensed up as if it readied itself to either fight or run away from the imminent threat. According to Dr. Joseph Dillon, the co-director of the Neuroendocrine Tumor Clinic at the University of Iowa. This is called the body's fight or flight response, which plays a crucial role in how we deal with stress and with any danger we encounter. This response is triggered by adrenaline or epinephrine, which is released into your bloodstream the minute you find yourself in a situation that stresses you out, making you believe that you're in danger of being harmed or worse from generations past. Adrenaline is what has kept us alive for a long time. However, when adrenaline is produced in excess, it can cause a lot of abnormal symptoms. It can cause those fight or flight symptoms when you're just sitting in the chair and suddenly you get an episode consisting of 
palpitations, heart beating rapidly, sweating, shaking, going pale, and if blood pressure is checked, blood pressure is very high. Sound familiar? That's because these were the exact symptoms that Dave was experiencing. The same symptoms that led doctors to incorrectly believe that he had diabetes or an anxiety problem. This portion was brought to you by Nord, National Organisation for Rare Disorders. Nord is a patient advocacy organisation dedicated to individuals with rare diseases and the organisations that serve them. Since 1983, Nord has served as the hub of the rare disease community, leading efforts to connect patients and patient organisations with other stakeholders and driving progress for all. Nord, along with its more than 300 patient organisation members, is committed to the identification, treatment and cure of rare disorders through programmes of education, advocacy, research and patient services. For more information about rare diseases and Nord's programmes and services, please visit rarediseases.org. Diagnosing patients experiencing the same symptoms that Dave had is incredibly difficult, oftentimes involving a lengthy and drawn-out process due to its rarity and the fact that its signs mimic those of other, more common conditions. In the United States alone, fewer than eight out of a million people are diagnosed with this rare disease which means that the current figure of 130,000 people living with it may actually be much higher. To add to that, the average time from when symptoms begin to final diagnosis is three years, with 25% of cases discovered only while doctors were looking for signs of an unrelated disorder. Understandably, this uncertainty can prove to be frustrating and stressful for many. After all, when even the most skilled and knowledgeable of doctors is unable to give you an exact answer, then feeling unprecedented levels of fear and worry is sometimes a patient's only recourse. If you don't know what's wrong with you, it's almost worse being sick itself. For me, I just needed to know what it was. This disease is grossly underdiagnosed in the United States, which is certainly a huge problem given how it can become fatal if left untreated. The treatment usually consists of a two-pronged strategy that aims to reduce the patient's symptoms and return their adrenaline levels back to its usual, normal state. Most patients undergo surgery. Dave, for instance, had an emergency resection of his right adrenal gland on Christmas Eve, one week after his diagnosis. So when I got out of surgery, the recovery took about six weeks. It wasn't too bad. It was a little painful. I had some issues with pain, but nothing that was out of the ordinary. Um, I went right back to work. I had no more symptoms at all of the disease. I did a follow-up, I think three or four months later with the endocrinologist in Indiana, and he told me I was cured. Besides surgery, other procedures to treat this rare disease include chemotherapy and external beam radiation therapy. One of the more recent breakthroughs in treatment, though, is radioactive medication, or internal targeted radiotherapy. But even with these treatments, approximately 15% of patients at the time of the diagnosis already have a metastatic disease, which means that it has spread far beyond their adrenal glands. Moreover, 
an additional 16.4% of apparently benign cases come back after the initial surgery. Unfortunately, this was the case for Dave. About six years after he was told that he was completely cured of the disease, it once again reared its ugly head. I think the worst part for me was that they told me I was cured, so I stopped thinking about it. After a few years went by, I just kind of put it out of my mind. I felt perfectly healthy until it started to come back. I started to have symptoms again around 2015. They started out pretty slow. They weren't very sporadic. They were not very severe. I ignored it. I didn't want to believe that I actually had recurrence. One thing I didn't know at the time was that it was even really possible for it to come back. He wasn't alone in that thinking. Even his doctors didn't think that the disease could ever appear again, especially in a patient who had already been cured of it. When it started to come back, I didn't have to guess then, because I'd already been through it. I had an endocrinologist in Michigan, and he'd never seen it, but he'd definitely never heard of it coming back for somebody that had had the resection done. So he didn't believe me either. But the tests didn't lie. Their results showed that Dave's worst fears had come true. His disease was back. He was flabbergasted. He'd never seen it come back in anybody, but obviously I'm living proof that it comes back. So I was upset about being told that I was cured and having it return. I didn't think at the time that it was gonna be a problem again. According to Dr. Dillon though, there's a huge chance that patients who had previously believed they were completely cured of the disease will experience it once again. So about 16% or one in six patients will have the situation where they have uh, a successful surgical removal and are thought to be fully cured, uh, but over a period of time uh, are discovered to have a re recurrence uh, either in the, in the same site uh, or in metastatic sites, so uh, in, the, in the liver or, or in the bone or, or somewhere else. Because of this, lifelong follow-up with doctors is extremely crucial. It is truly important to have a long follow-up on patients because these things, as I mentioned, can recur. You know, over time, over the years, a patient should expect to see potentially multiple different physicians, multiple different specialists. Patient aftercare and follow-up also typically involve biochemical testing, radiographic studies, and screening for any signs or symptoms of the disease. This episode is brought to you by The Balancing Act, Lifetime's longest-running morning talk show hosted by Montel Williams and Olga Villaverde. If you love your medical stories, be sure to tune in bright and early to watch riveting topics and catch behind the mystery segments talking about rare and genetic diseases. You can also get more information and watch all the episodes on thebalancingact.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Mystery. Please visit thebalancingact.com to learn more about the show and listen to other episodes. Without a doubt, Living with this rare disease is incredibly difficult and complicated. There's a chance that doctors will keep diagnosing you incorrectly, 
And even if they do correctly diagnose the patient, it's possible that it will roar up again a few years down the road. And this time, it could be more severe, taking a much harsher toll on your body, as well as your mental well-being. Were you able to diagnose which rare disease we've been talking about all this time? This rare disease, one that gets misdiagnosed all the time, causing a whole slew of debilitating and seemingly impossible to eradicate symptoms, is pheochromocytoma and paraganglioma, better known as pheo and para respectively. These are tumours that affect the neuroendocrine system, with pheo forming in the adrenal glands, while para forms in cells outside of the adrenal glands, on both sides of the spinal cord. Both tumours are caused by inherited genetic mutations, more than any other cancer in fact, and affect people of all ages, as well as men and women alike. The unique feature about neuroendocrine tumors in general and pheochromocytomas and paragangliomas in particular is the, the hormones that they make, which uh, they can produce these at huge excessive levels. The, the hormones get in the bloodstream and the hormones cause a variety of, of symptoms. So unfortunately with a rare tumor like this and with a tumor that has very unusual presentation, most often patients take a long time to get diagnosed with these tumors. However, immediate diagnosis and treatment are what's needed when dealing with these rare diseases. Otherwise, they would most likely prove to be fatal. Life with pheo and para may be challenging, but for Dave, it's the struggle against the disease that should be emphasized in order to raise awareness for its frequent misdiagnoses and severe outcomes. You have to keep fighting towards the outcome, which is getting a diagnosis from somebody. So if you can't seem to convince one doctor, you just have to go to another doctor. For more information about pheochromocytoma and paraganglioma, visit the Neuroendocrine Tumor Research Foundation at netrf.org or the Pheopara Alliance at pheopara.org. You can also visit our website at thebalancingact.com forward slash rare. This podcast was developed by Catapult Communications. Executive producer, Molly Major. Carrie Levy. Produced by G. Marcel Costa. Written by Kayla DeLeon. And narrated by Chris Harris-Beachie.